0: On today's episode, we get right into the VFL's bold plan to push Australian rules football onto the rest of the country with National Day. John Coleman is back and firing at the Bombers. Geelong continue to dominate with the form that saw them win in 51. Collingwood seem to be channelling the machine team and are back in a big way. Mobsy Fraser over at Richmond takes on the whole Toomey clan. Uh, the pie. When, the, when Richmond play the pies and South Melbourne and Carlton race for the last final spot it all coming down to that very last day of the home and away season all this and more after our song it's the
1: history of
2: football we knows about and we want to expand what we know we'll become such intelligent gentry with every kick to kick show Beginning in the time 1870s, right through to the modern day.
0: Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmanas to hear what they all have to say. Welcome to the Kick to Kick podcast, the Australian rules football history podcast that takes a deep dive into the history of the league. We don't really have any qualifications at all, um, other than a thirst for knowledge, a desire to relive past glories and lots and lots of books. My name is Tim. I've got the Kazman over here. Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening. Looking sharp today. I've got Coops opposite me. Oh, hello. Hello. Um, and yeah, no mores today, but that's okay. We'll, uh, we'll hear from her later on. We certainly will. Uh, hello, listeners in Russia again. More listeners in Russia. More, more downloads in Russia. Ah. Uh, the Kremlin's going nuts. Absolutely. They're all over it. France, India, Japan, hello to you, and the US states of Iowa, Missouri, and Utah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and I guess the reason why we point out the American states is because I, I can get those stats on Podbean. Yeah, oh, got, with the different states. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, whereas Russia is just Russia. Yeah, it's all ah. of Russia. Yeah. Um, you get the provinces of Canada, the states of Australia, and, and America, so you can see specifics there. <laughs> um, in other countries, you can't, obviously. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the kick cave. Uh, we haven't said <laughs> it in a while, have we? We haven't. We thought we'd bring it back. Um, Charlie, you and I were guests on the Cobra cast recently. We certainly were. Um, so Great chat. Yeah, we had a very good uh, long football chat with them about we our did. show and what we did and just the enjoyment of football. And uh, It got me thinking about the uh, the Red Bartlett episode we had, uh, Charlie, back in 1908, I think it was. Yeah. We just talked football over and like for so long. Constantly. We're those people now. Yeah, I know. That's it. That's us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. We're the poor man's rat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah love it um so if you want to catch that uh you can actually listen to watch us do that you can see our faces talking oh god sort of, how i awful. think on, on their facebook page or you can listen to the cobra cast yeah. on podbean as well um yeah just some guys from the Sandown cobras
2: actual legends
0: yeah we started a, a really cool it's such idea a great idea a podcast, yeah. especially
2: at, at the moment when there's no games and it's hard to connect with your community it's it's a it's a phenomenal thing that they're doing it's very cool
0: yeah, so yep, shout out to the mm. Cobra Cobra Kai Cobra podcast, Cobra Kai? <laughs> the Cobra Cast. Give it a listen. Uh, great guys, yep. um, and I can't wait to go down. And, you know, have a have a beer and watch a game. Of, Absolutely, uh, oh, I hope with so. them. Give us some history. Uh, so let's get stuck into some history, mm. shall we? Shall we? Song of the year was uh, "Because of You" by Tony Bennett. Was number one for six weeks in Australia in nineteen. I love Tony Bennett. Mm. Yeah, that
2: voice can sing. Uh, so. 1952, here
1: we are,
2: great year Yeah. Great year, yeah, lots happened uh, On the 20th of, ve- of January, starting with fireworks here The first express train ran between Melbourne and Adelaide Hey. Oh. Following the completion of a railway between the two cities So it wouldn't stop them. Just... just went straight through If only they could just get it across the whole country You need to get to the city of churches, bang, yeah, there, there you go express. You can get there now Lovely. Uh, On the 6th of February, uh, King George VI Uh, Died age 56 after a long battle with illness and he was succeeded by his daughter the current queen Queen Elizabeth the second uh, who was at the time on a visit to Kenya any crown fans out there will know
0: that (laughs) Um, and so when she listens to this podcast she'll be able to remember oh that's right I was in Kenya yeah yeah, that's that's who won the year I was uh, inaugurated inaugurated? yeah uh,
2: Yeah. crowned? crowned crowned yeah Yeah. inaugurated on February, later in February, February 14th to the 25th, the Winter Olympics were held in Oslo. Oh. Uh, no Australians won any gold medals. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> and we won't win any gold medals in the, in the Winter Olympics for a long time until Brad Bradbury, Bradbury. does the job. <laughs> uh, on the 22nd of March, uh, Werner von Braun published the first in his series of articles titled Man Will Conquer Space Soon. Oh. Uh, and this one included ideas for crewed flights to Mars yep. and the moon. Ah, I wonder whether that'll happen. SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> on the 29th of March, we had the President, Harry S. Truman, announcing that he would not seek re election. He was ill under the okay, mm-hmm. time, yes. Uh, and he was in his third term, and after that, I think they changed the rules based on him. Hmm. Uh, on the 19th of July. Running through to the 3rd of August We had the 1952 Summer Olympics Held in Helsinki, Finland
0: oh, So a very Scandinavian Olympics Isn't, isn't it? it? Mm. Isn't
2: it? And still at the time where we've got the winters and summers Happening in the same year mm. um, Do you want to hear a few Olympic, uh, Australian gold medalists there? Mm. Go for it We had Marjorie Jackson winning gold In the women's 100 and 200 Yeah We had Shirley Strickland winning the gold In the 80 metre hurdles Oh yes We had... Uh, Russell Mockridge winning gold in the men's 1,000 metre cycling uh, time trial. We had uh, Lionel Cox and Russell Mockridge winning in the men's 2,000 metre tandem cycling. And we had John Davies winning the gold medal in the men's 200 metre breaststroke. Fantastic. So there you go, a few golds for the boys and, uh, and women. And yeah, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was kind of a general the term team. for Australians. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But extremely sexist of me. Thank you for pulling me up on that, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us in. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks yeah. for listening. No. Sorry, Tim. Um, we had Dal Ray winning the Melbourne Cup at the start of November, okay. and on the 30th of November, we had Lang Hancock discover the world's largest deposit of iron ore. In the Hammersley Range of Western Australia's Pilbara, range. yeah, jealously
0: guarded oh. it, like frantically trying to stop people from claiming it, mm. so he could pass the bill through Parliament, so he could take a claim. I think.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah there was cool. something crazy going on there. Yeah. That's the, and that's the start of you know the the you know, resources. Art, yeah, boom. our resources boom exactly. Lang Hancock is Gina Reinhardt's father, so yeah. he's still going strong. Yep. And she tagged along with him um, all the way, and she she learned yeah. it from him absolutely the whole way through. Uh, so, a few people were born this I, I year. I heard that, yeah. Also, I Tim. Heard. Yeah, can not believe it? <laughs> uh, and starting with an absolute belter here, 1st of March, Lee Matthews. Oh, lethal. Lethal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, Point posts everywhere started checking. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Straight away. Uh, on the 7th of March, we had Viv Richards, the uh, West Indian cricketer. On the 10th of April, Stephen Seagal. ha. <laughs> It always amazes me
0: who was born in the same year Some of them seem really old and some of them don't Exactly
2: Uh, On the 12th of April, Mike Munro, the Australian journalist On the 16th of April, for all of those of you listening in America uh, Particularly, Bill Belichick The uh, coach of the Pats For a long time now Still
0: coach of the Pats? I assume so, I know Brady's gone but
2: I'll
0: check, you keep looking Yeah, I will You keep talking
2: On the 14th of May, the great man who brought us back to the future, Robert Zemeckis, the director, was born.
0: Yep, Belichick still at the Patriots.
2: Still at the Pats. On the 21st of May, another great man, Mr. T, (laughs) of the A Team. Can you believe it? On the 7th of June, Liam Neeson. The 17th of July, we had David Hasselhoff. On the 18th of August, Patrick Swayze. Again, it's amazing to think that all of these people are the same age. <laughs> and Tim I know you'll enjoy this one. On the 15th of November we had Macho Man Randy Savage nice. the professional wrestler. Alright,
0: thank you for that Charlie. Very nice. Uh, now to some league news. Because
3: it's football
0: season and that's the reason it's the time of the year that we- in May of 1952, as part of the promotion for the Burt Lancaster movie Yes, I heard ten this 10 Tall Men, the management of the Melbourne Cinema, the State Theatre on the corner of Flinders and Russell measured the height of the 10 tallest VFL players 10 Tall Men um, and found that Jeff Leak of Essendon was officially the tallest at 194.3 centimetres You just want to so win what everything
2: we ta- Who's tallest now? Gorney at 211, right?
0: Um, is that yeah. right? Yeah.
2: Or goes who's Cox, 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 Cox taller?
0: 6'11", or six seven one? Maybe? Yeah, wow. He's tall. Um, <laughs> He's huge. Kaz, I wanted to point something yeah. out. My hugeness. Bulldog Murray countdown. Yeah. Three episodes to go.
2: Oh, no way.
0: Yeah. It just came up that quick. Three episodes to go.
1: It really did. Yeah. I well,
2: remember that first episode, you talking about, when am I going to get to say,
0: <laughs> when am I going to get to talk about Bulldog? i <laughs> will get there, Kaz. We'll get there. <laughs> um, now, the only other thing to bring up is the push of Australian rules football around the country. So Bruce Andrew, former Collingwood player and uh, president, I believe, of the ANFC, wanted to push Australian rules football around the country and try to convince the rest of the, the, the world that uh, Australian rules football is the best code. Mm. Um, so the VFL scheduled a round of matches outside of Melbourne yes. as a effort to promote the game. A special round was held in round nine. They extended the season out to, to 19 rounds to accommodate this. Um, with the ANFC picking up the tab on all travel expenses so that neither the VFL nor the 12 clubs were out of prop- uh, pocket. The match was o- the round was also called the Propaganda Round.
4: Oh, I love it.
0: Um, several clubs weren't happy about it though. Collingwood tried to get it vetoed and tried to get clubs to vote against it. Um, and they had some support from St Kilda and Hawthorne but they couldn't get it overturned.
2: Always complaining about not enough home uh, games, they, Collingwood. Yeah. It's pathetic. Um,
0: and as we'll see, they went to some country Victoria places as well and the VFL weren't really liked as much in the uh, country leagues either because we always stole their best players. Oh, really? Yeah, so there wasn't a huge amount of support in regional Victoria, because of you know, all the poaching and you know, the fact that the great players are coming to Melbourne, there's not much they're getting back for it. Interesting. Although there were good turnouts to all, most a lot of these games, there was. Um, so what we thought we'd do to report on this special round is to start by by reporting on that. Yep. We're going to talk about each of the games. We've got a little pot here with the uh, oh fun with the game. So I'm going to hand that out. We'll, uh, we'll report. We'll do on the spot report from a on at the location.
2: From that location, okay. No. Alright.
4: man. I've I've
2: been everywhere. So, starting off, we've got a game in Euroa. In front of seven and a half thousand people, we had Carlton vs. Hawthorne. Uh, so the game was originally offered to Bendigo, but they didn't want it. So that saw Euroa pick up the game. The Hawks were wearing yellow numbers on their backs and Carlton won this game easily led by Howell, who helped himself to eight goals which was a venue record in a huge win over Hawthorne Uh, Carlton running out 17-15 117 to Hawthorne's 11-14-80.
0: And there's actually a little bit of footage of this game on YouTube that Kaz and I found earlier. Oh, fantastic. Um, you is. can see the yellow numbers on their back, but it just, you made the call Kaz, it just looks like a local suburban football game. Yeah. Mm, mm. Not, sorry, not suburban, like country game, like, yeah. like at your way where you umpire, with yeah. like just the wooden fences and <laughs> yeah, the marching classic. band. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wooden scoreboard. Brings That's it right. back.
5: Yep. yep. Lining up at the start. Um, Me? Yep. So I've got Richmond and Collingwood. And, uh, you know, Collingwood are just fresh off eating the free peanuts on their, on their <laughs> long haul free travel trip up to Sydney. It's at the SCG. Um, do, you want, do I reveal the score now? Yes. So it was Richmond um, uh, at the end, it was 5 6 36, and Collingwood 10 12 72. Although Collingwood were against the idea of matches outside Melbourne, they had no choice in the matter. While Richmond caught the train up, uh, the Magpies took the airplane. See? <laughs> 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 making uh, making it their first time flying in for a game. Collingwood famous for travelling. Yeah, the first one. Um, oh, this is great. The the other significant thing was Jock McHale didn't make the trip. Um, uh, on the on the second game he missed. So this uh, is this,
0: I think the second game he missed since nineteen hundred. Since he'd been at the club
2: Oh my gosh Oh, okay, wow Yeah Because
0: yeah. even though He's not coach, He's still got. This is still what I was going to say I was like Of course he missed the game And I like, think the other was, game He, he missed had... was the grand final Oh, the one we're where we oh. was sick Yeah, oh. yeah. 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 So Sorry, okay, guys
4: in spirit Coaching
5: from the bedside it? Um, The other The other was being The grand final And then missed them. No, it's it <laughs> um, The uh, Magpies doubled The Tigers score In the match uh, Marred by rain And labelled a mud bath <laughs> Good um, Half the crowd left At halftime time. <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to travel to Yalorn. Ah, Kaz, do you know where Yalorn is?
5: Um, it's not near Lawn.
0: No, it's not. It's in Gippsland. So <laughs> it's on actually, the other side. If you've ever driven, you know, to Moi or Tarelgan, yeah, uh, one that time big, the big power station there?
5: It's <laughs> I'm Going back there, never again. Yeah, it's not a great place. Um, I've been there. So
0: it was originally supposed to be in Torrigan, but they didn't. They were pretty ambivalent and didn't really want it. Well, there seems to be a theme. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so. They played it at your lawn. And wet weather again affected this game as well. We need to talk this about whole season. this season. Um, and so the locals decided to soak up the water. But instead of using sawdust, oh, no. they used coal dust. Mm. As reported by Russell Holmesby. Well oh, they love coal. Um, so by the end of the match, of course, the players were dirty <laughs> be beyond important. belief. The Saints won by 15 points, which was their first win of the season. Uh, Ted Whitten. And Jack McDonald will kick two goals, which is a a venue
2: record for the Yalon football group. For league <laughs> football. Two. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Love it. Uh, so I'm going to travel across the strait to North Hobart ah. over here. Uh, which sees uh, Fitzroy, the gorillas. Uh, gorillas. Uh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah no. no, yeah, yeah, exactly. What? Fitzroy playing uh, Melbourne, the Demons, the Mighty Demons. Now this game is number 89 on Peter Carter's list of Fitzroy's best wins. The The highlight of the game was the high-flying of Tony Ongarello and his seven goals. Uh, This included the opening three goals of the match. Fitzroy beat the D's by 20 in Norm Smith's first match against the team he had coached for the past three seasons. Also in the second quarter a fan stole a ball uh, stole a ball that had bounced over the fence and he was charged with larcen- larceny of a football valued at 3 pounds 12 shilling- mm. shillings and 4p the equivalent of $140 <laughs> <That's not true. laughs> which was the property of the BFL so the final score here as i said Fitzroy's 13 12 uh, 90 beating Melbourne's 10 10 70 mm.
1: mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Okay, on the border of,
5: uh, on the border at Albury, South Melbourne, North Melbourne, a close one, 1810, 118, South Melbourne and 1412, uh, 96, North Melbourne. Um, south all right this year. Um, the uh, the pretty little ground with the flooded Murray, so more flooding, um, encroaching within the yards of the outer fence, uh... <laughs> Has never held as large as a crowd in history. With scores level at thirty at three-quarter time, North came out of the, blocks, out of the block strongly uh, before South came back, rattling on three goals to take control of the game and win by twenty-two. Paddy, well, that's not that close. Paddy Deegan and Gordon Lane kick four at Albury a record. If anyone a understood record. that, that
0: that sounds like the best of the games I think for that round as well. The the one with, I mean, with the Murray lapping at the, at
5: the, the <laughs> Let me think it was going to burst the banks, but <laughs> close, close enough. Close
0: enough. <laughs> All right, now we're going up to Brisbane, hey, Brisbane, Vegas, um, where Geelong <clears throat> <throat> and Essendon were to play. So the VFL is sending the best two teams, well, last two last year's uh, grand finalists. Yes, they want the best players up there to try and spread the gospel. Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Coleman wasn't was Told not to play in the state game, he was told to go to Queensland. Oh. Ah, I, I guess because they wanted his rock star hours yeah, up there, hmm. which, but surprisingly, they kept Geelong's full back in Melbourne, I think Morrison, to play in the state game. Yes, um, so the game was supposed to be played on a Saturday night, but it was too wet. <laughs> Um, so, despite the players wanting to play the league, wanted the spectacle, so they waited uh, for it to dry up. Uh, yeah, they, they rescheduled for the Monday. It's just to, in time to pour all the cold dust Yeah, on the ground. <laughs> <Yes>. which <laughs> so gave no, never which mind. gave kind of Geelong had time to go to the races and have a few nights out. Lovely. Of Whereas Essendon were pretty tame and didn't do much at all. Um, So, Monday, the game was scheduled for Monday night at 7.30 at Brisbane Exhibition Showgrounds. Uh, Pre-match, a group of 200 people stormed the fences and gained free entry. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) But they were in for a treat as John Coleman put on a masterclass. He kicked a club record and a record, 13 goals. Love it. The Bombers beat Geelong by 69 points. Uh, However, Geelong wouldn't lose another game until August the next year. talk a bit more about that. Um, so Coleman, those 16, go- those 13 goals put him 15 clear of second place Jock Spencer. Um, so North Secretary Jack Adams said, "Oh no, Jock, we got to include Jock Spencer's eight, six goals for Victoria. That needs to be included in the tally." We'll find out later that wouldn't have made a
2: difference. No, no, exactly. Ah, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, well, speaking of Jock Spencer, and back at the home of the MCG. Here okay, we are. so
0: football still being played in Melbourne?
2: Yes, football, thank God, is still being here. Uh, <laughs> although not at the moment in real life. But yes, mm. football has still been played at the G at this time. Victoria, Western Australia, it's a state game. Yeah. So uh, we had uh, a very close game, seeing Victoria take the Bickies by just nine points. Goals were, as Timmy just mentioned, to Jock Spencer, who kicked six for the Vicks. Hutchinson kicked two, Flanagan also two. Sutton got one, Merritt got one, and Kennedy won. Uh, so the national day round was played in addition to... To the standard 18 games, so that the people of Melbourne and Geelong would still have uh, nine home matches. Mm. Um,
0: yeah, mm. there you go. Excellent. Um, so that was yeah an interesting way to promote the Spread game. Spread it. I don't actually mind it either. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't care if the AFL did something like that and played games like had a regional round where they played a game they in should. Ballarat and Kalgoorlie and.
2: Yeah,
5: not for points though, just you know,
2: separate. Talked about the importance of grassroots football. Yeah,
0: yeah. absolutely, and that's that would be yeah absolutely. absolutely. Um, now, as you can probably gather from the, those match reports, it was an incredibly wet year. Yes, Charlie, you want even to in see? Brisbane. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. So it was the wettest year on record that we'd had for more than twenty seasons.
0: Oh, over a hundred years, somewhere I read. Oh, really? It was one of the hun- I think it was the wettest year on record. So maybe it was. Yeah. Well, there you go.
2: Wow. Uh, so, lots and lots of games were played in uh, deep, sticky mud on the uh, banks of rivers, overflowing yeah. their banks, apparently. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, and the uh, yeah, grounds were just covered in sheets of water. So, in July, the AFL well, made a bit of a change, the VFL made a bit of a change, and introduced the white ball. They did. Uh, to oh. help black players be able to see it in all the mud.
0: That's so, they're the... bringing in the one-day ball. <laughs> 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 they are. Absolutely, Um, and Kaz, there was another Lightning Premiership this year. Oh,
5: fantastic!
0: And you'll be really happy with this one. Yeah, Melbourne lost. Melbourne won it. They took out the the Lightning Premiership, the grand final. Um, They had to play in all four matches as well. So they knocked out my Bombers in the first round, Hmm. then beat Geelong, took out North Melbourne in the uh, the prelims to to qualify for the grand final. Hmm. Um, This was all played at the MCG as well, Uh, similar to last year. Twenty-minute, twenty-minute games, two ten-minute halves, um, and they took nice. on the mighty South Melbourne football team in the grand final. Yes, um, they had beaten St Kilda and Collingwood on their way there. They had the first round as a bye. Mm-hmm. Um, final scores did not flatter South Melbourne though. Kaz. Melbourne mm. running out victories, victors, mm. one goal to eight to one behind. <laughs> That's the final score. Melbourne with their first. Lightning Premiership. <laughs> we'll take A taste it. of glory to come for the fifties for the demons. <laughs>
5: um, those low-scoring um, games though don't bode well for that particular well, competition. Twenty
0: minutes on yeah, right. what was you know really really wet uh, days. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so let's go the ladder, Kaz. See,
5: that's it. we're going to take all those positives into the season, I'm sure. In twelfth place, St Kilda.
0: A place I know so well.
5: <coughs> with two wins. A little bit better than last season. Um, 17 losses, of course.
2: 68.1%. So, St Kilda, coached by Colin Williamson and captained by Keith Drynan, The best and fairest winner was Jim Ross for the second year in a row. And their lead goal kicker was John McDonald with 31.
0: So, two wins. That's not bad. That's the uh, the most wins a wooden spoon has had for the last few seasons. Yeah. Um, some debutantes... Uh, Was a man by the name of James Wanden or Jube. He was a proud Nungungeta man of the Wurundjeri. Uh, He was actually St Kilda's first indigenous player at the club.
2: And a local Wurundjeri man. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, He
0: was a centre half forward, so he played two years with St Kilda.
2: And what was the nickname?
0: Uh, Jube. Jube. Yeah. James Wanden. Love it. We've got Sid (laughs) Slocomb, Ivor Smith.
5: Oh, fantastic.
0: Bob Watt. And Neil Roberts. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Neil Roberts?
5: That's right. Neil Roberts. St Kilda recruited Neil Roberts from Melbourne High School Old Boys. Where as a teenager he'd racked up a prof- prolific tallies for Melbourne High School Old Boys. Once notched 15, 17 and 19 goals in three consecutive weeks. Yeah. Oh, uh, Legendary. Tall and boasting athletic physique. He was excellent overhead and superb, a superb rebound player. Roberts played with St. Kilda on the forward line initially and later excelled as a centre-half
0: back. Fantastic. All right. Now, first up, Kaz, was the Lakeside pennant.
5: Oh, fantastic. Round uh, one.
0: And look, going into this uh, match, the Saints trail... Sorry.
1: Mm.
0: Going into the three-quarter time huddle, okay. the Saints trailed by 20 points, and they controlled the last quarter. With 15 scoring shots to three.
1: Yeah.
0: However... <laughs> From those fifteen scoring shots they could only manage two goals. Oh. Thirteen behinds to go down by eight points. Um, one of their forwards, John Coffey, kicked two goals nine. Oh man. so they let it that, slip. That is a, the pennant they slip, they let slip. They should have won that. Yeah. Um and following that game, John Coffey maybe he was disillusioned with his game. Um he applied for a transfer to Morwell. <laughs> Okay. He actually applied four separate times And four times he was rejected hmm. He refused to train and did not play For the rest of the season And this will rear its head again uh, Mid-season, their champion Harold Bray Announced he would retire At the uh-huh. end of the season oh. um, the, the Saints wouldn't win Their first game until round eight In the game we've already discussed That was played in uh-huh. Uh Following this loss this win, This breakthrough win, they then suffered another Ten losses in a row I just can't help but feel they're so close. You're not really. (laughs) (laughs) However, they won their final game of the season Ah. against a finals-bound Fitzroy by a goal. Jim Ross and Neil Roberts starting, starring with three goals each. So they finished the season on a high. Mm. Uh, Yeah, pretty poor season from St Kilda.
5: (laughs) One for the bookies, that one. In 11th place, Hawthorne, five wins, 14 losses, 69.6%.
2: Hawthorne this year, coached by Jack Hale, captained by Peter O'Donoghue, best and fairest, John Kennedy, for the third year in a row.
0: Yeah, three, he's three from three. Three mean, from three, three exactly. Three
2: yeah. yeah, incredible. Uh, and their
0: lead goal kicker was John McDonald with 25. Thanks, Charlie. Now, in round one, the club equaled its third lowest score ever, <laughs> kicking two goals 8-20 at home at Glenferry, when they were thumped by Collingwood to the tune of 86 points. No,
5: there is just no hope there for Hawthorne.
0: Uh, and then they had a round two loss as well, but then came two wins over the Demons at the MCG by 14, only only their second ever win at the MCG, hmm. and then they beat South Melbourne at Glenferrie by nine. Hmm. So the team was two and two, and you know there was speculation around the Hawks that they you know, they t- turned the corner at last. Mm. Heck DeLacy actually wrote a glowing article in the Sporting Globe about the great work started by McCaskill and now being carried on by Jack Hale as their coach. Yeah. Um DeLacy said, At Hawthorne McCaskill has to cut mm. a swath through the complacency of defeatism. That's right. In the seasons fight back, only one man, Jack Hale, is responsible.
5: Mm. That's right. We've heard from the coach, we've had they've got they've got some things in place here. They're really giving a good shake.
0: And they're trying to turn around the whole culture of the club. And yep. you know, it's slow going, we know that. Um, The wins when they did come were against the fellow bottom three sides in St Kilda and Footscray in Round 9 and 12. And they had a second win against South Melbourne, who only just missed the finals, Mm. have you, uh, in Round 16. Mm. The club played its 500th game in Round 15 in their loss to Melbourne. Mm. Then at season's end, Jack Hale, the coach, announced, rather remarkably given the season's results, that the club was on track towards that elusive goal Place in the finals.
5: Yeah, so feeling, they're feeling a bit dangerous. This is good.
0: Yeah. Um, and also, in so Bob McCaskill, their co- the, the person who had coached them for the two seasons previous, yes. passed away oh. towards the end of the season. So the club actually played paid tribute to him in the club report as well. Um, so, but but we talked about this last episode, Kaz, that McCaskill oh. really set that foundation to, yes. to turn the club around. And his hardline stance against those players mm. um, early on, even though it was a, a really poor and hard season for them. Mm they're now rebuilding from that. From the ashes rise, the phoenix.
5: Ah, yes. Blooming, like a May bloom. (laughs) Uh, In 10th place, Footscray with 5 wins as well, 14 losses, 77.1% Tim.
2: So Footscray this year, captain coached again by Charlie Sutton. Their best and fairest winner was Jack Collins and their lead goal kicker was Roger Duffy with 20.
0: Righto! Um, look, this is this is Footscray's down year we, we, We've been saying this for years now mm. Footscray up and down And up and down They have yo-yoed Most of the time True
5: to form They're here the again Well, it's
0: definitely the last 10 years Yeah, uh, They had a strong win over The seven-time grand finalist Essendon in round one Ooh. Which was a very strong way to start the season
5: And it's not easy to beat Essendon No, so,
0: so it was a five-point win Avenging their loss in the previous year's semi-final um, Then they lost the next three uh, round four, they had a loss to Melbourne. Um, Footscray's star 19-year-old centerman Ted Witten was in hospital with severe concussion. Oh. Uh, it was severe as he was not able, able to play the following week when it was uh, routine to play the next week after being concussed in those days. Oh, okay. Must have been bad. You, you know, back in those days, you cast you go back on later, or you, you're right the next yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, shake it off. So I that shows how it. serious it must have been for yeah. for Teddy Witten to, yeah. to not play. Yeah. They beat Richmond in round five, then lost the next five in a row. They finally beat St. Kilda by a goal in round 11. Um, Their last round win over South Melbourne, which was only their fifth of the year, was somewhat sweet in that it upset South Melbourne's season and Mm. derailed it. But overall, it was a really disappointing year for Charlie Sutton and the Dogs, Mm. who were supposed to be the next young team on the rise.
5: Yeah, yeah. They've been doing really well. Mm. But as we know about young teams, they can be a little bit inconsistent.
0: Yeah, and they, they probably go into the season overconfident, you know, we were, mm. we were close last year, we don't need to do too much. Mm. You expect the wins to come, and and, mm. and when you take mm. that attitude into a game, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, We see it time and time again.
5: Yep. Yeah, there's something there you can learn from. Um, I wonder what they called concussion. Was it called concussion? Yeah,
0: but uh, let's look into the entomology of concussion.
5: <laughs> um, uh, I'm not concussed. What I can see is true in ninth place
0: Ninth you place. guessed it.
5: Richmond we
1: finished ninth again. The
5: Richmond Tigers finished ninth again. <laughs> Sorry, Tigers fans out there. Um, with eight wins and eleven losses, 92.6%. So it's quite a few wins that it's it tumbled down.
0: This is only <laughs> the second time in their VFL league history. Actually, no, third, third time they finished ninth. <laughs> but so it's first, the first time they've finished ninth since 1912. Ah, oh,
5: finally they knew.
0: Well, yeah, <laughs> they've been perennial finalists. Really, I mean, yeah. actually not recently, but throughout the 30s and 40s, they were mm. always a team that was thereabouts, and now they're not.
5: I'm, I'm just, I feel like there's a bit of a logjam here in the middle. So, it, yeah, they could, they could be higher. We'll find out in the season. Yeah, not.
0: Yeah, between sixth and ninth, they're not really separated by much, are they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um so Richmond
2: so the Tigers this year are coached by Jack Dyer captained by Des Rowe their best and fairest w- winner was Roy Wright Oof, that was a mouthful <laughs> and uh, their leading goalkicker was Jack O'Rourke with 43
0: thanks Charlie Cas 1952 was the year that Roy Wright could finally spread his wings so when he would arrived obviously Jack Dyer was a was a ruckman uh, Paleface Morris was a ruckman so he was you mm. know third in the pecking order mm. um, but now that Dyer and Morris have left mm. he's the uh, he's the, the number one rockman the numero uno yeah. he actually applied for to cross to Hawthorne several times but been knocked back each time mm, so he was goodness. about to have a ripper of a season though yeah um, Mopsy Fraser as well was elevated to the role of team enforcer
5: yes we, we haven't had many of those in that in that Richmond side there for a little while
0: so. well so back. since Dyer retired two years ago so, yeah. so it's, a, it's an important role in the Richmond team yeah So round one, Mopsy Fraser was put to work battering into the Fitzroy players as the Tigers beat as the Fitzroy No, sorry. As the Tigers beat the Lions by nine points. Yeah. Good. Yes. Look, they started the season well. They had strong wins over Hawthorne, North Melbourne and Essendon. Um and actually, there's some rare footage of their round four game against North Melbourne on YouTube that Red Bartlett posted. Oh, f- um, the best thing, of, I don't know if it's the best thing, but one of the more interesting things is mm. you see a spruker selling socks at, it must be quarter time or half time, <laughs> out on the ground with like his suitcase and things trying to sell it. Oh, perfect. Um, but Richmond would have a stretch of four losses mid season, which was disastrous, and they tumbled down the ladder.
5: Mm. I hope they were Richmond socks and not just, you
0: know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> round 11, in a spiteful match against Collingwood. Uh, Mopsy Fraser remembers Tangling with the three Toomey brothers
2: Ooh! Alright, there they
0: were All lined up, Pat, Mick and Bill Toomey
2: They flexed their muscles Expanded their chests and smirked When the umpire bounced the ball The ball shot straight to Bill who charged towards me So I charged at him with maximum speed There was a bone jarring Smack as my shoulder slapped him Straight down the middle I'll always cherish the (laughs) Of agony as he hurled toward the turf (laughs) Off went the first brother then there were two. Pat and Mick weren't happy about this untimely departure and said some pretty choice words. Pat stuck his head out during a ball up and again said things that no redhead could tolerate. <laughs> <laughs> As the ball moved in the vicinity of his head, I let fly and accidentally missed the ball and smacked him a butte and down he went. <laughs> Trainers escorted him from the ground, leaving only one brother left. When we, ca- we came together near the boundary line and Mick went sailing into the fence... Then there were none. The entire <laughs> Toomey clan wiped out for the day.
0: Look, Collingwood won, but the fans were incensed. Hmm. In the final quarter, actually, a, a fan, I think who was an army cadet, jumped the fence and ran 50 yards to hit Fraser. Um, but Fraser gave him the same treatment. Uh, and there was a bit of a riot after the game from the fans and Mopsy Fraser and Jack Dyer needed to be police escorted from the game.
5: Oh God! You have to really be ready to defend yourself mm-hmm. in these situations.
0: Now, round 18, following the loss to Geelong, some of Jack Dyer's friends on the administration told him it might be wise if he stepped down as coach. They didn't want to have to fire him. Mm. Um, And Jack Dyer was gutted. In his book, he calls it the hardest blow of his career. So he went into the final match of the season knowing it was his last, but he hadn't hadn't actually told the players.
5: And that actually happens. He does retire.
0: As a coach, yeah. Oh, my um, gosh. That's terrible. He retires and moves into the media, as we know, incredibly successfully. Yep. Um, round 19, the last match of the season, uh, after the Tigers had beat the bombers in that game. And uh, in, in that game Coleman had quite a quite a big game. Um, the Richmond officials actually queried Mopsy Fraser on whether he'd played dead, allowing Mo- Coleman to kick nine goals. Um, Mopsy Fraser of course denied that, but also added what they didn't know was that at the time
2: Dyer and myself both had both had put 50 pounds each up to say Coleman wouldn't get the goals on
0: me. Well, we won the game, but lost the bets.
1: <laughs> oh, no.
0: Um, now, I also reached out to Red Bartlett here to kind of get his take on the way the season ended for them. Yeah. Uh, sorry, not the way the season ended, the way the, um, the Jack Dyer situation played out. Yeah. And his take on it was that the club wanted Jim Dean, who was from okay. South Australia, mm. and they'd end up offering him a playing coach role as a carrot to get him to Tigerland. So to kind of clear the way for that, they had to move Jack Dyer on. Um, but then Dean couldn't get the clearance so the club took a safe approach and ended up point- uh, appointing uh, LB Panem oh. who'd coached the reserves for the last seven years but I think Jack oh, Dyer right. took quite an exception to this because as we know the Panem name is very synonymous with which club? Collingwood. Which team does Jack Dyer hate?
5: Mm, I'm going to say Collingwood.
0: Correct. <laughs> um, so that would be a bit of an issue there. Uh. And and, Jack, and Dyer would go onto the board for I think a matter of months and then he'd
5: Ah. So Dyer Dyer's move into coaching it just it just didn't work for him. It didn't feel like uh, he had um, anything, you know, bad relationships or anything like that. It just wasn't getting the wins on the board.
0: Well, he was, I guess, the, the kind of player he was was a lead by example player, and when you're not on the field to do that, you couldn't, you can't do that.
5: That makes sense. In eighth place, Essendon, eight wins, ten losses, one draw, and one hundred thirteen point
2: six percent. Charlie. Essendon, coached by Dick Reynolds, uh, captained by Bill Hutchison, who was also the best and fairest winner, and their lead goal kicker, John Coleman, with 103.
0: Yeah, look, it's our, it's our lowest finish since 45. And, wow. You know, that was the only year we missed the finals between 1940 and 51, so it's been, it's been a good innings, guys. What's happened? Good, well... <laughs> Yeah, of course. retired. Yeah. Dick Reynolds is retired. <laughs> uh, a few other team changes, and and I'd say the weather this year as well. Like we talked earlier, like it, the wettest year in over 100 years. Oh, this makes a difference. It absolutely, it does. <laughs> um, good. I got a good debutant for you. Was it very windy? I'm not sure about windy, but it was definitely <laughs> the muddiest, wettest season they'd ever had. Ah, oh, you can't. Yeah. Um. This is a this is quite a funny deb- debut for you, Kaz. Um. Also, shares a name with a WCW wrestler from the uh, late nineties, Hugh <laughs> Morris. Okay. Get it? It's Hugh Morris. <laughs> That's extremely <laughs> funny. Um, now pre-season, Essendon winger Lance Mann won the nineteen fifty-two one hundred and thirty-yard store gift Ooh. in eleven seconds and fourteen 16th of a second, off a handicap of seven and one quarter yard. Uh, his teammate and halfback flanker, Norm McDonald running off a handicap of five, came second. So Bombers 1-2. At least we won something that season. 1-2 and two in the store gift. Oh, no, that's right. Round one for the first time since 1946, which was a premiership year. They lost their opening game of the season to the Dogs by five points. Um, and look, they had a bit of an indifferent start to the season with a loss, a win, loss-loss-win. Mm. Um, the win over Geelong was the highest score of the season and the only time this has ever come against the eventual Premier. Mm. Um, the first time happened since, sorry, let me start this again. So, the win against Jong that we talked about earlier in Brisbane was the, the biggest score of the season. Mm. It's only one of a handful of times where the highest score of the season has come against the eventual Premier yeah. It also happened in 1949. Geelong did it against Essendon, so it's kind of the reverse of that. Oh. It happened in 1916 when Fitzroy uh, won the flag from the sp- bottom place as well.
5: I oh, love a bit of poetic justice.
0: In there. round 12, Hutchie. Bill Hutchinson became only the second bomber to play 200 games. And mm. after a nine-point victory over South Melbourne, Dick Reynolds declared it as Hutchie's match. Ah. Um, more so as a celebration, I suppose, than an outstanding match like we know Clegg's game was or yeah. uh, Duncan's game. <laughs> yeah.
5: I've got one this year as well. It's so good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Round 16. The Blues led by 21 points at halftime and looked likely winners over the Bombers. However, the Bombers booted nine goals three to one goal three in the third quarter to lead by nearly five goals at the last change. Uh, John Coleman, having kicked four goals in the third quarter, um, was leading the charge. The Argus reporting that Carlton was quick in attack in the last quarter, mm. but three points were expensive misses. Mm. Goals by Davies and Howe roused the Blues, but Ken Hands and Coleman both scored points to leave Carlton twelve points behind. Mm. As added time ticked on, mm. another two goals by Davies levelled the scores. But Hutchison drove the ball to Coleman, who marked twenty yards from goal. As he let kick, as he let fly with the kick, the kick went just outside the goalpost. Ball dropping amongst the spectators as the final siren sounded to give Essendon a one-point win. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, Coleman, his, his back end of the season was extraordinary. In round 18, he kicked 13 goals 6 against Hawthorne, as the Bombers won by 55 points, and what was their 1,000th match ever?
5: Oh, that's huge.
0: Now, round 19, I know we talked about this earlier, um, against Richmond, so he needed 6 goals to break the ton. Oh. And this was a dead rubber. Essendon and Richmond were playing for nothing but really pride, and, and the Bombers obviously get Coleman to his, uh, his century. Yeah. Twenty-eight thousand people turned out to punt road to watch this, um, and he was playing Fraser and obviously Fraser had been instructed by Dyer to you know play him close. And we we found out later that Dyer and Fraser had money on the fact that he would he yep. would keep him under that amount of goals. He Kicked three goals in the first quarter, Kaz. <laughs> now playing Fraser for two of them. Oh. He kicked two more to start the second quarter. Uh, one from a from a magnificent uh, Hutchie pass. So this is it. He's going to. He sat, he sat on ninety-nine goals. Oh. Then a short pass from Jim Carstairs set him up to deliver his ton. <gasps> so despite the Bombers trailing at half halftime...
5: Um, I'm literally holding my breath here. Well,
0: he did. He kicked his 100th goal in the second quarter.
5: Yes. He
0: finished the day with nine goals, but the Tigers won by four. <laughs> uh, but look the overall bad weather and the atrocious conditions of the ground throughout the season hmm. and the effect they had on the condition of the ball especially in relation to hand passing marking and kicking hmm. as well as the physical problems of leading and being unable to sprint from muddy grounds yep. highlights how impressive John Coleman's 103 goals for the season was Yeah, so he finished the season on 103 goals almost double his nearest rival so Ganinian kicked 52 yeah. and added 7 in the finals so that's that in in the conditions that we've talked about, 103 goals mm. in the mud <laughs> and the wet and the rain mm. is incredible.
5: Yep. Back end of the season as well.
0: Back end of the season. So that's his third uh, third time we know he kicked 100 in his first season, oh. 120 in his second, not quite 100 in the last season, but this mm. year he's back up there with 103.
5: Yeah, shame they can't get on their winning ways as a team. But they've got something really nice there. All right, seventh place, North Melbourne with nine wins, ten losses.
2: 96.8%, Charlie.
5: All
2: right, so North Melbourne, coached by Wally Carter and captained by Kevin Dynan. Their best and fairest winner was Jock McCorkle and lead goal goal kicker was Jock Spencer with 51. The two jocks Mm. getting it done. Some debutants Alan Aylett As a football administrator, Alan Aylett was
5: undoubtedly one of the most important figures in the game's history During the second half of the 20th century But prior to that, he enjoyed a career of considerable note as a player Picked up after playing uh, at University High Aylett was a quick and highly elusive player Oh, a good one uh, Aylett was also uh, a good deal stronger than the average Rover enabling him to win possession of the ball seemingly at will. Once in possession, his disposal skills were immaculate. Uh, and f- that's not a word that gets thrown around very lightly. Um, a few Rovers in history of the game have been as dangerous near goals as well.
0: Um, so pre-season, they cleared Keith McKenzie and Tim Robb and champion Les Foote. Yes. So Lesfoot moved uh, to Berrigan in New South Wales to take up a coaching position there, which is a huge loss. Mm. Um, I think they th- they did it out of loyalty. Like, he's, he's given service to this club, so we'll do the right thing by him. But champion player, they, they definitely missed him this season.
2: A hundred percent. Well, there, they, I mean, they r- relied on him a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah.
0: They didn't win their first match till round three, which was an 11-point win over Footscray. Um, but by round six... Uh, they were 1 and 5 and you know they lost to Melbourne that game their season was all but over. Mm. One highlight was the round 9 win over Collingwood at Victoria Park by 16 although Les Foot was kept goalless for only for the only time in the season. In round 14 they hosted Essendon at Arden Street and in a game that saw lots of scoring droughts the kangaroos held on to win by 3 points. And amazingly in this game all the goals were scored to the same end. Which means both teams went through two quarters each of no goals. Wow. Um, North salvaged somewhat of a wasted season, winning five of their last six, but not enough to make finals. Um, In October, to add to their poor year, they dealt with the tragic loss of their club president, Frank Trainer. His death in October had widespread repercussions of North Melbourne's subsequent history, and although his indifferent health had given him a warning, the club was still unprepared for his death at the age of 57. Uh, So in the absence, Johnny Meary stepped in. And if you are, if you know who Johnny Murray is, he's always depicted in cartoons with this massive smile. Oh, really? Yeah. just a happy-go-lucky type yeah. guy. Yeah, <laughs> he was. He quite often the mascot. When you see the old cartoons and all the teams have have their picture there, he's quite often the mascot for North Melbourne. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah,
2: love it.
5: In sixth place, Melbourne with nine wins, one draw, and nine losses, one hundred and three percent up the ladder. <laughs>
2: Oh. Up the lap ladder And it's it's purely due to this man And I'm so glad I get to say his name again <laughs> <laughs> Coached by Norm Smith <laughs> Yes Captain by Dennis Cordner uh, Best and fairest winner this year was Jeff McGiven And uh, lead goal kicker was Noel Clark with 49
0: He's back would you, mm. would The you Red say, Fox is back yeah. Would you say the best and fairest was a given? <laughs> <laughs> Good, I like yeah. it I like it. Um, we got some W taunts here Harry Lack and Max Orr mm. Now mm. I've got a uh, Norm Smith's first speech to his players here. Uh, this is what he said as he uh, addressed the team.
2: I am a disciplinarian. I expect every man to give his utmost for the club. With me it is Melbourne first and the player second. Any player who does anything to upset the harmony of this club is out. I love it. That
0: that's how it's a club conflict. should be. Should be. Yep. I don't Always. Right. It it's, it shouldn't be that hard. That's that's no, it's
2: Three for- sentences. Yeah,
0: that's all it needs to be. Yeah, mm. I don't know how clubs can stuff that up. Yeah, not, not, <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. Not a
5: disciplinarian for the disciplinary sake. No, just if something's wrong,
0: you're right. Yeah, so he took the team back to the basics of discipline, teamwork, courage, and percentage play. That was yep. his four basics. Yeah. Round one. So, in the fixture, they were scheduled to play the fifty-one premiers, which was the first I think the last few seasons we've had the. Previous year's premier playing the previous year's wooden spooner in the first match, which is odd. Oh, okay, mm. yeah. Um, maybe it's better to get that game out of the way. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but they gave the cats a good run for their money. They only went down by a goal in Norm Smith's first game back as coach of the demons. Round two was his first win as coach of the demons, uh, and also the demons' first win in fourteen matches after their terrible 1951 season. Yeah, uh, Cordner dominant in the rock. In round four, Footscray started hot favourites against Melbourne, who had only won one game the previous year. But with Charlie Sutton out injured and both Teddy Whitten and Bill Scanlon lost before halftime, the Bulldogs fell apart in the second half and the Demons ran away with a comfortable victory. Mm, right. That's right, they did. Round six was a win over North Melbourne, which started a streak of five straight wins for North over the Demons. That doesn't sound right. Scratch that one. Round no, seven.
2: Could, surely
0: not. Wearing new water repellent boots, which were said to work well, the demons accounted for the magpies at the MCG. This is the, the year repellent for the first. They need them this year. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, Dennis Cordner was brilliant in the rock, dominating all of Collingwood's followers and giving his rovers first use of the ball. Um, and around the grounds, his marking was a feature, the Collingwood team avoiding him at every chance possible. Round nine, a workman-like performance helped the Demons come away from Windy Hill with the narrowest of victories. Hey. One point. But there was controversy surrounding this win. I was uh, there, With too. a point kicked by Melbourne's Ken Christie after the halftime siren. His kick bounced through off hands for a behind, and many thought the ball should have been dead when it was touched. But the rules of the day stated that the ball was in transit after the siren and the score would count, and that still stands today. Yeah. There's and no controversy there. I, I agree with the umpiring. There. So it's, it's a tough it's, world. It's touched. But it went through still. Yeah. yeah, that's that's still the rule. Yeah, of course, it is. That's yeah. poor play by us. then Dick Reynolds' dragon. <laughs> Round ten, they beat Richmond by thirty-seven points at the MCG, despite losing the kick count, the free kick count, forty-two to sixteen. <laughs> that's right. I mean, we've talked about this in
2: the past. <laughs> you know how I feel about free kicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's
0: that's outrageous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Round twelve, Melbourne might have beaten Carlton if a Ken Alberston point kicked after the first quarter siren had been counted. Ah, uh. the ball was in the air when the siren went, and a Carlton player fumbled it through the goals while trying to stop it. Under the rules of the day, a point should have been awarded, as it was Melbourne's favour a few weeks earlier in similar circumstances. But no score here was awarded. So, why not? Oh, who knows what's going on here with the umpiring? Can they learn the rules? Yeah, <laughs> God, we need a captain. We need Jack Warrell back. Hey, absolutely, coach of the umpires. Yeah. Uh, their last two wins of the season were strong wins over Hawthorne and Footscray. With finals out of the equation, they then dropped their final two games, but it was a better season. Um, the Demons end of season report reading that Norman instilled into the side a spirit that at all times made them fight grimly and determinedly for victory. That's what we want. And then their end of season trip was to Mount Buffalo. That sounds oh, a nice. like place. Yes.
5: Yeah. <laughs> you cannot walk up there if they've got the gate closed. They <laughs> <laughs> found out. It
2: sounds really mystic. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it's too far to walk My from the car park. Device. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, in fifth place, South Melbourne. Um, they probably went there before the gate was closed. Um, 11 wins, one draw, seven losses, 105.5%. Job.
2: Yes, so uh, we had Gordon Lane here on absolute fire as captain, coach and lead goal kicker uh, with 33. Their best and fairest was Keith
0: Sha- uh, Schaefer. Schaefer? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we got a debutante. Uh, how are you with your early 90, uh, late 90s wrestling characters? Uh, I'm out of this conversation. Ba- badass <laughs> Billy way. Gunn made his debut in, uh, for, for South Melbourne. Who's the grandfather of Callan Ward?
2: Oh, wow. There you go.
0: Wow. Um, Look, they started the season well with a hard fought win in the Lakeside pennant, beating St Kilda by eight points. This was the 100th match between St Kilda and South Melbourne, with the current tally being South 73, St Kilda 26 with one draw. (laughs) Uh, They had three wins from three matches, and things looked great. But then they lost to Hawthorne. Yeah. Nine points in an upset at Glenferry. What? However, they then won their next four. And we're equal top of the ladder with Collingwood at seven wins and one loss. Uh, in that sequence of wins, they beat Melbourne by 14 points, uh, but Ron Clegg damaged his right knee and ended the game on crutches. He'd been flying for a mark behind uh, McGiv- McGiven, mm-hmm. and the Demon's man's foot had hit him in the leg, so ah. injured him. Uh, so he would miss quite a chunk of the season. <laughs> Round seven, in his fifth game for the club, Fred Goldsmith who we talked about last season, Kaz, recalls playing Footscray and their captain Charlie Sutton, who was his neighbour. Um, sorry, Goldsmith says, I was 11 stone playing full forward and Charlie was in the back pocket. He came up to me and said, Good on you, Fred. Good to see you've made it. How are your mum and dad and your sisters? As he walked away, he said, I'll see you after the game. Fred thought to himself, I'm pretty sweet with this bloke. At the first bo- first bounce, the ball came into the South Melbourne forward line and head down, Fred Goldsmith let out. He didn't look up and the next minute he woke up with the head trainer putting smelling salts under his nose. One minute yeah. he was asking about my mum and dad next he was running straight through me. <laughs> sick. South won by 31 points. So they had, he had the last laugh. Yeah. Uh, in round 14 they drew with Carlton 10-14 apiece. South only managing two behinds in the last quarter so he should have won that game. Uh, round 16 Ron Clegg was finally cleared to play after after uh, well that 11 games out. Uh, but after kicking and turning on his knee with no adverse so he fuck round 16 Clegg was finally cleared to play after you know training, kicking, turning on his knee uh, there was no bad effects so he laced up against Hawthorne he was cheered heartily in the first few quor- first quarter as he flew for marks but in another shock loss this time by 18 points he again pulled up lame Ugh. hurt himself in the second quarter but you know these champions they think they can play on he, he kept going he went, put himself into the forward pocket But early in the last quarter, he hurt himself again. He lay on the ground in pain before being taken off. He would not appear again for the season, opting to have surgery to remove some cartilage. Yeah. Cartilage problem. Yep. Um, So, for South Melbourne, it all came down to the final round of the season. They were a chance to make finals. Um, They needed to beat Footscray, and they needed Carlton to lose to Geelong, which was gone, you know, Geelong was on top of the ladder, so that's probably a thing. Um, now, supposedly Carlton supporters were offering Footscray players £10 per player incentive to beat the Swans <laughs> uh, to keep them out of the finals and the Swans started well with 5 goals to 2 but would only add 3 more for the game as the Doggies absolutely steamrolled them to win by 23 points, leaving them 2 points adrift of a final spot Oh, killer.
5: Best kind of victory
0: So really it came down to that draw with Carlton if they had have won that game they would, the would have been on the other way, absolutely
5: In 4th place, Carlton uh, eleven wins, two draws and six losses.
2: 112.4%. Yes, two draws. <laughs> That's right. That can happen. It can. It can. <laughs> uh, so coached by Perce Bentley and captained by Ern Henfrey. Again, their lead goal kicker uh, was Jack Howell with 42. Chooker. Best yeah, Chuka Howell. Best and fairest, Ollie Grave.
0: Alright, um. Shout out to the Bluesium website as well. Oh, yes. Um, great website, which is where I get most of my Carlton information when I'm, I'm making my notes. Um, it is so comprehensive Quality, and well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're a Carlton supporter and you don't know about it, do yourself a favour. Um, so debutante was John Chick that you might be interested to know about. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> at Princess Park, plans were being drawn up to expand the ground to accommodate up to 100,000 people. Um, because it would be a stadium, a venue for the nineteen fifty six Olympics. Ah, bonus. Nice. Yeah. Do we know at this stage that the Olympics were going to be in Melbourne? Was that had that been announced? It, mu- it must have been, I suppose. It
2: must have know. been because yeah, you find. Did yeah. you report about
0: it in your history section? I think I did. Not this year. I think you I have. did last okay, year. Okay. Okay. Good. Oh, yeah. There you go. uh, after in round four, after trailing by twelve points at half time, the Blues kicked eleven goals in the second half to beat the Bombers by seven points. The margin would have been greater if the Blues' conversion rate was better. Took a howl with four here. Round seven, the Blues had no trouble defeating Geelong, giving them their first loss of the season in front of 37,500 people at Princess Park. Playing some of the best football seen for years, Carlton put on a devastating burst of powerhouse football in the first quarter with eight goals, four to one goal, three. Um, They had 2-1 on the scoreboard, all scored by Jack Spencer before Geelong realised the game was even on. (laughs) Playing fast, coordinated football with brilliant marking and long, accurate kicking, it was copybook football, rarely seen when two top-line sides clash. Jack Spencer kicked six. Round nine. In Carlton's six-point win over Richmond, the league trialled the use of white balls, like you were talking about, Charlie. Mm. Uh, Afterwards, the players and officials praised them as better than the standard brown ball for wet days. The waterproof ball was as light at the end of the term as at the start, and accordingly, marking and handling were far above the usual wet day standard. Even at the end of the matches, players were kicking it long distance.
2: Oh, there you go. Mm. Why don't we still have the white ball? Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. like to know more about this white ball. Yeah, it can only Me be too. a good thing. And So water, why waterproof? How? Mm-hmm.
0: And why didn't they yeah. just
2: think of making the normal brown ball waterproof? <laughs> I mean...
0: Well, white still so you can see in the mud. It, yeah. 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 Mm. Round 11, playing Hawthorne Carlton had a 20-point lead at three-quarter time, despite kicking two goals 10 in the third quarter. But Hawthorne had the wind in the final term and looked capable of taking out the game. Perce Bentley then moved Chuka Howe from forward line into the ruck, and this move stymied any drive the Hawthorne expected from their ruck division. With the wind slackening, Howe provided the Blues with the drive they needed, and they outscored Hawthorne by 3 goals 3 to 1 point. The back line in this turn was impenetrable and was led admirably by Ollie Greave. They drew with Melbourne, then beat North in the wet, and then salvaged the draw with South, even though they were down by 23 points at 3 quarter time in that game. Uh, Chuka Howe had kicked the level up with 2 minutes remaining. They lost back-to-back games by one point to Essendon and Fitzroy. Round 17, they had a good come-from-behind win over Collingwood, which left them in fourth, two points clear of South, and in danger of missing the finals. Mm. And they had to rely on another team beating South to make finals. Uh, We know they lost to the Cats, but because the Swans lost to the Doggies, Mm. they were back in the finals. Love it. So Mm. I think this is the first time they've been in the finals since 49. So a few years out. Mm. We'll be happy they're back. Yeah, absolutely.
5: And look who's back in third place. Fitzroy, 13 wins and 6 losses.
2: 105.4%. Yes. As we said before, to be the gorillas. No. Oh, no. Not anymore. We can't say no, that. I just needed to say it. No. This last time. Um, we explain that in a second, but let me yeah. tell you who. So we had Captain Coach, uh, Alan the Baron Ruthven, yeah. uh, best and fairest winner here was Neville Broderick and their lead goal kicker was the young star Tony Ongarello with yes. 50.
0: Kaz, um, right. tell us a little bit about Tony Ongarello, he's a debutant. Yes. And another debutant was Kevin Blizzard.
5: Ah, no, the blizz. The mm. blizz! That's what they called him.
0: He was all over them. <laughs> yes. Um, so as well as a new coach, or old coach, uh, Ruffman, uh, a number of other players left, so they blooded 13 new players.
5: That's right, guys. Tony Ongarello, Fitzroy's Tony Ongarello, is probably best remembered as being the last footballer in VFL, AFL history to register a goal using a place kick. Yeah, he did. <laughs> of Italian heritage, Tony was recruited from Thornbury YCW standing 185 centimetres and weighing 81 kgs. So what's that? Pretty just normal?
0: Yeah, for that time, yeah.
5: Mm. Was one of Fitzroy's best ever high marks and worst ever kicks. (laughs) (laughs) He played in uh, 1951 in the reserves and with the retirement of Eddie Hart, he was elevated to the seniors in 1952.
0: Uh, And the Argus actually called them no-hopers at one point of the season, Uh but as we know, they finished third. Uh, now to the gorillas name Charlie yes they were bowing to pressure from its players and supporters they abandoned the gorillas as its emblem they did it was originally intended to signify strength tenacity aggression and power which it does a gorilla yes does all those things but it had been somewhat devalued when opposition supporters started referring to them as apes Mm. Uh, they called for suggestion for names, and in the interim, they were known as either the Maroons or the Roys. So back to the yeah. back to the originals, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. Um, the the, ar- oh, the age cartoonist Wells drew a picture of a dog in a Fitzroy jumper, suggesting they adopt the nickname the Pointers at one point. The Pointers. Yeah, Throw that, it up there. That was, that was no, sh- that's worse than the Gorillas. Mm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So they'll yeah. So there's a few more years before the Lion comes in. So at the moment, they're just the Maroons or the Roys. We it's interesting. Em,
5: yeah, we haven't had many things actually dropped. Like the cockatoo doesn't count because that was that wasn't too long Te- enough. Technically,
0: it wasn't the name, was it? And no. the Panthers didn't count. Either. <laughs> that the wasn't dropped totally counts. It, it never stuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, look, the maroons isn't a bad thing. It's like the Blues. It's a colour. I mean, it's not threatening or anything. No, I don't mind it. No. Um, <laughs> so they lost their first two games before finally winning in th- round three against the Blues by twenty points. In Round 5, Fitzroy escaped with a one-point win over Hawthorne, with Jack Stedder kicking a late-winning goal, which was their only goal of the quarter. In Round 10, this match being number 48 on Peter Carter's list, mm. uh, was a match played in atrocious conditions at the Brunswick Street Oval. Uh, it was Essendon versus Fitzroy, and Fitzroy's champion fullback Vic Chanta was the acting captain as Ruthven was injured. Uh, Tony Ongarello booted five goals for the day, including three in the last quarter. Uh, but Chanta had a day to remember against Essendon, Specifically, he played on John Coleman. Coleman didn't get a kick until the third quarter. Huge. And finished the day with two behinds. The yep. only time he was ever held goalless. Amazing. In his VFL career. Chanter. The Age reporting that the Maroons softened up the Dons in a hectic opening quarter when they launched the barrage of the He-Man football that had driven home by greater physical strength. Um, one thing we didn't actually mention was Fitzroy were quite a big team. Men's team. <laughs> I've been the man the <laughs> team for a while, but mm-hmm. a big, strong team, big body, which really helps in the mud, like yeah. a gorilla, absolutely. <laughs> um, but look, mud, mud was ankle deep at one point. Yeah. I think there's something I read where the sewerage was overflowing, and after this Essendon game, I think there was a story of them having to get tetanus shots. Oh, really? Yeah, it was yeah. That they, bad. they were saying that in I
2: think the next round, round eleven at Brunswick Street, it was ankle deep. Yeah, so,
0: yeah, Ooh.
2: yeah. Um,
5: Was it not on the uh, Collingwood history football tour at that time? we heard that the sewerage ran down that way? Yeah, they they. There must have well, that was into
0: Victoria. That was in, from Fitzroy into Collingwood. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That created the. Mm. Yeah. So they had some of their own. Uh, they were sending yeah. them down their <laughs> shit. <laughs> yeah. So that was against Melbourne in Round Eleven, uh, with the ankle deep football, uh, ankle deep game against Melbourne, which Mel- they won it, by ten points. Melbourne
2: would not worried about it. They had their waterproof boots. They were just <laughs>
0: skidding around on top of it. And now round 14 was a brilliant one-point win over Collingwood at the Brunswick Street Oval. A very low-scoring affair, the Maroons. Two last-quarter goals got them over the line. According to the Argus, Fitzroy um, were aggressive in defence and smashed a desperate last-minute onslaught. Why the fuck have I written this? Fuck! According to the Argus, Fitzroy had amassed... What the fuck have I written here? <laughs> Don't stop with that cr- word. <laughs> what the fuck have I written here? According to the Argus... Fitzroy's aggressive defence smashed a desperate last-minute onslaught by Collingwood to hold on in a tense, grinding, rib-rattling encounter between the two teams that knew no fear. Uh, Also, speaking of the Argus, this match featured the first colour photograph of a VFL football game. In the paper. Would you like to see it? I
5: would love to see
0: it. Here you go, listeners. There's the photo. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh,
2: that is fantastic. isn't
0: it? Maroons and Magpies thrill and action-packed game. Um, the photo shows Fitzroy centreman Nev Broderick grappling with Magpie Jack Parker and you can see Therald Merritt in the background. So I'll put that up on our Twitter. That, is, that is so different. good. He's huge, that Fitzroy player. Yeah, so that was in the Argus. Um, so wow. incredibly, Fitzroy would win four matches by one point in 1952. And they actually had a really good record of close games between 1942 and 1961. They won 13 of 14 matches decided by one point. Oh, well, that's what you want. Thanks, Peter Carter, for that stat. Um, at the end yeah. of the year, the team took a trip, the end-of-season trip to Western Australia, and on this trip, Bill Stevens wrote the, the, the lyrics to the theme song. Um, here's a snippet of him actually explaining how he came up with that. Uh, this is taken from That's... This is Your Sporting Life.
3: And we were going on an end-of-season trip to Western Australia. It was a, a, a big trip for Fitzroy boys, and we raised the money ourselves. I wasn't... A, uh, coach or captain or vice captain or anything I was just a player um but I'd be, we'd, so we, we and in those days you went by train uh, you know over by train I think it took us uh, two two nights and three days I think to get there it was, was a long long trip we were going across there and um I'd been to a picture called Casablanca with my wife, Um, and and in Casablanca there's a scene where the French people are sort of in a bar and the the Germans come in, and and of course, uh, German people, uh, soldiers weren't very nice in those days, and and they uh, sort of lauded it all over, and they got up and they started to sing their German song. And uh, then one brave little bloke from France, he got up and started to sing the Marseille, and anyway, the second one joined him and the third one joined him and the fourth one. In the finish, all the French people just absolutely out-sung the the Germans and the Germans just slunk away. But anyway, I was very impressed by that scene. I thought, oh, gee, Fitzroy at the time, they were named the guerrillas. They were always the Maroons, but they were also they tried to call them the gorillas and they, but they, it never really took to, the people didn't take to it, like they never people didn't go around saying I barrack for the gorillas you know, they, they might have said they barrack for Fitzroy, they barrack for the Maroons but they didn't say they barrack for the gorillas and I said to the boys we are in a carriage, there was about eight of us and they were all drinking beer of course which there was nothing else to do going over on the on the train. And uh, anyway, uh, I said, I've got a song here and we want to, we're going to sing it. We're going to sing it. So, and I told them of circumstances. So I said to one fellow, I said, you start, you go next, you go next, you go next, you go next. So anyway, we put the song together and we sang it. Well, we must have sung it by the time we got home after a fortnight in the West. We must have sung that 5,000 times. We just absolutely sung it
0: so there you go um wow now I can't help thinking that if Norm Smith was coaching this team they would have won the flag well to have turned over thirteen like to bring in thirteen new players to make finals i I feel like this this would have been his team and he he would have taken this team to success like we know has happened at Melbourne yeah that's just unfortunate for them they lost him Tommy
2: do you think Yeah, well, they lost him to Melbourne. But do you think Fitzroy would have rebuilt the way they did if they'd lost Norm Smith? They were always going to, weren't they? They were at that that
0: stage. I'd say they made finals because of the groundwork he laid and the foundation he laid. Mm. But if he was there, I think that would have been more sustained than we'll see in the future.
5: Yeah. Mm. They're at it again. Collingwood in second place. 14 wins and five losses. 144 points. The Mighty Magpies.
2: The Mighty Magpies, coached by fons Kine, captained by Lou the Lip Richards. Mm. Uh, their lead goal kicker was uh, Murray Dunstan with 43. Best and fairest, Bob Rose. Nice. Um, so this is how Fons Kine started the season. He, We've got his address as well. Ah, We have only ourselves to blame for not having a flag to raise this year. We were as good as any of them. We proved we were as good as Geelong during the season. We threw it away against Essendon. We've got to ask ourselves if we were mentally tough enough. Did we give it everything we had when we had to give it everything we had? Very
0: Jock McHale there, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> um, it's a good last line. I like that. Yeah. As you said, Lou Rich is officially the new captain. Yes. He tried to, uh, tried to become captain the year before. He tried to canvas votes to try and become captain, but this year he finally was. Um, round one, they had an emphatic win, uh, as they usually do in round one, smashing the Hawks by eighty-six points. Dunstan with five majors. Um, they made a real point of wanting to beat Essendon in round three after the uh, the capitulation in the prelim of the year before. Um, and this time, Coleman was playing, but and and they wanted to make a point. You know, we can beat Essendon with Coleman. Yes, playing. They won by twenty-four points. Mm. Round five was a Collingwood family affair. They played Carlton, and they selected three pairs of brothers. So Bill Mick and Pat Toomey, Bob and Bill Rose, and Lou and Ron Richards, all on the same team. So yeah, so three sets three of
2: brothers. brothers, then two sets of two, amazing. Yeah, well they're all, there's three sets of brothers. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah, I know what you're saying. But a lot of brothers, yeah. so seven, they, they and seven brothers.
0: Yeah. And that must be a record. Good question. <laughs> um, they, they beat Carlton by 50 points. Of course they um, By the time they beat Footscray in round six, they were unbeaten and on top of the ladder with a huge percentage of 195. It was like the machine was back. Hey. Yeah, finally everything's on looking again. into gear. Um, but which team would end their run? No, but the demons. Yes, in baby. front of fifty-eight thousand five hundred and forty-three people at the, G, at the G, demons ended their run. You actually sounded a little happy. I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, following their win over the Tigers in Sydney. They then fell to North Melbourne, who you know had a pretty poor season. <laughs> Round 11, the game against the Tigers, when Mopsy Fraser took out the Toomey family. Uh, from a Collingwood perspective, was, was uh, for, sorry. From a Collingwood perspective, this was fiction. Bill Toomey marched senior. Bill Toomey senior marched down to the officers who printed the story and said, "Reckons he can put down three Toomeys, does he? Well, bring him face to face with me. I'll do him in on my own. The story's crap." <laughs> Oh, do we mean? in yeah. <laughs> I love it A yeah. uh, loss to Geelong Dethroned them From the top of the ladder But around 15 Thriller Which was a one point Win over then Gave them a double chance Heading into the finals um, The Magpies actually Had 10 different Goal scorers In that game uh, They won their last Four matches And were looking forward To atoning for their Failures of 1951 mm. Yeah That meant
5: business Leading us to First place Geelong With 16 wins One draw Two losses, 134.7%, shall
2: The top of the ladder, the Kittens! The right. Kittens. The Kittens are here, coached by Reg Hickey, captained by uh, Troubles Flanagan. <laughs> Lead goal kicker was George. Now, uh, Ganinian. 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 Yeah, always get that one wrong. Sorry, George. George Ganinian with 59. Best and fairest was Jeff Williams.
0: Yeah, Jeff Williams is a really interesting story. So he was a first year player. He lived he worked for the bank and I think and lived in Melbourne. He couldn't get a transfer down to Melbourne uh, Geelong for the year. So he actually trained with St Kilda all year. Except in any games where they were playing Geelong, he trained with the Saints. That's amazing. So yeah. he trained with the Saints all year, played for Geelong and won the B and yeah. in his first year. Yeah. What the- uh, another debutant was George Swarbrick. Um, now, a lot of the information I got was from a book called Classic Cats, The Story of Geelong's Premiership Years, 1951 to 1952 by Bruce Kennedy and Michael Rogers. Oh, nice. Um, hmm. it, it was a free book I downloaded on a website I found. Amazing. Really detailed uh, story about their their success over those two years. Uh, preseason, the Geelong Flyer, Bobby Davis, had taken up a job as coach of South Adelaide. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he asked for a clearance. The club did not give him one. Yeah. So he didn't play for the first half of the season. Round one. This match was the fifth time the previous year's Premiers and Wooden Spooner had met in the opening round. The Cats won by one goal. Uh, and it was the 1,000th VFL match between Geelong and Melbourne. The They've only beat us by Oh, well, yeah, because we got better. Sorry, yeah. not 1,000th, 100th match. Um, the record at this stage is Geelong with 58 wins, Melbourne 41 and one draw. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, Ganinian scored four goals in this match. Round two, the president's wife raised the flag, although she had some trouble, and the flag fell to the bottom of the pole before it was hauled up. Ah. Oh. Uh, the dogs, they beat the dogs by seven points. <laughs> Round three, they beat the Saints by 65 in what was the 100th match against St. Kilda. <laughs> uh, Geelong, 59 wins, St. Kilda, 41. Okay. Yeah, the, the Saints okay. seem to always beat them at Junction Oval. yeah, yeah. Uh, Finally, just before the round six game, Bobby Davis declared he would play for Geelong again, um, hoping that they might clear him for the next season to South Australia. Uh, Taking the field for a game against Richmond, with not much practice under his belt. He actually played pretty well. Um, He helped them regain the lead late, uh, as they had trailed by four goals, and they got the win. Round seven, they suffered their first loss to Carlton. An eight goal to one opening quarter did it for them. Uh, For the Blues, that is. Then we talked about the massive loss they had to Essendon in Brisbane. That would be the last loss they'll have for quite a while. The Cats beat South Melbourne by 20 points, kicking off a run of 23 games without a loss.
2: Yeah, that's which massive. Which is
0: a league record still today. Oh. South, South Melbourne's first goal came after three attempts, which had been made to boot the ball spinning in <laughs> spinning in a puddle. So a player's in the goal square, the boot, the ball's in a puddle. Three times he tried to kick it. On the fourth attempt, he finally connected <laughs> to put it through. Um, in this match, Bernie Smith, reigning Brownlow medalist, left the field with a badly wrenched ankle and would miss the next four matches. All right, um, so Geelong's streak. Yes. This is officially what it is. So... Uh, They won 10 games in a row to end 1953 season Yep Uh, 52 season Then they won their first 13 next season Yeah, so they won 23 in a row 23 in a row is the record for wins ever Yep However, they also have 26 28, um, wasn't it? 28 28, 26 games in a row with no losses
2: Ah, okay
0: Yeah, so because they had that draw with Essendon in round 11 Yep So 26 with no losses, 23 wins in a row
2: Massive Yeah And that's still the record, 23 in a row
0: Yeah Across two seasons, but yeah, when, when they always talk about their record, I didn't know there was also the like undefeated attached to it where there's a few extra games where they didn't lose. They had a draw, but they didn't lose. Yeah. So there you go. It's pretty incredible. Round 12 was one first versus second. The Cats' 29-point winners over Collingwood, giving them top spots. Round 13 saw two big ins. Bernie Smith was back, and George Ganinian, who'd been out for a, f- a little bit of time, was back as well. He kicked five. With the Cats making the demons look like juniors, as was reported in the paper, Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, which prompted Norm Smith to declare that the Cats were the best team of the season. Um, however, in this game, Bernie Smith would re-aggravate his ankle and wouldn't appear again until the finals. Round 16, the Cats took on the line. I uh, took on Fitzroy, the Maroons, the Roys. Yep, Alan Ruthman tried to uh, take the game up to the Cats and, and really rough them up. Uh, they they flooded, really congested the stoppages. Mm. Um, but the fitter Geelong team prevailed by eight goals in the end. Um, it should have been more. So Ganinian kicked one goal, six. Oh, God. But pre-game had been instructed to do uh, to have shots at goal using a drop kick instead of the drop punt he usually used. Why? I don't know. It reminds yeah. me of Buddy Franklin about 10 years ago when someone Tried said... Tried to change his... Yeah, change like, his style, and he kicked like one goal, nine or that's something. That's right, when they're like, why are you always on the angle, stop arcing, run straight at it or something, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's what it reminded me of. Round 17, they had a win over North Melbourne, which gave them a 5-4 tally in the Murdoch Cup. <laughs> we, yes, we are keeping track of that, because they, they beat them earlier in the season as well. Uh, round 19, 49,107 <laughs> people came to see the Cats take on the Blues. This is about 70% of the population of Geelong. At this wow, stage.
2: that's massive.
0: Isn't it? Everyone's a... Yeah. Um, There were people in the trees, hanging out of the trees. It was ridiculous. It's so good. Um, And the the Blues being one of the only two teams that have beaten them this year. Um, But led by Ganinian's four goals, the Cats easily accounted for the Blues, winning by 45, finishing on top of the ladder for the second year running. Double chance going into the finals. Which we like to see. We do. Now let's cross to Moz to hear about the interesting draw in the 1952 Brownlow. The
6: Brownlow down low with Moz. This year, we have ourselves another set of dual Brownlow winners. Richmond's 190cm Ruckman Roy Wright, and Essendon's Rover, Bill Hutchison. Both players finished the season on 21 votes, with St Kilda's Harold Bray lapping up 19 votes and finishing second. However, upon count back, only Wright was awarded the Brownlow and poor old Hutchison was considered another unlucky fella who nearly won the prestigious award but couldn't quite get there. Bill Hutchison did, however, win the award in 1989 at the retrospective Brownlow ceremony. Unfortunately, he was the only retrospective winner to have passed away before the decision was made to change the count back Hutchison was 174 centimetres, 70 kilograms, and had such a boyish look about him that he was mistakenly asked to leave the change room before his first game so that the men could get changed. Ha! (laughs) He had a career tally of 172 Brownlow votes and won Essendon's Best and Fairest seven times, the same amount as Dick Reynolds. Hutchison was Dick Reynolds' natural successor. He was a forward flanker and third rover, And author Peter Blair wrote that Hutchison played with business-like efficiency. Roy Wright reminds me of a favourite character of mine, Forrest Gump. When growing up, he had a weak constitution and super weak knees. His legs were kept in splints until he was 10 years old. And it's absolutely astounding that Wright wasn't able to play any kind of sport until he was 16 years old. At that time he joined a junior football team and he demonstrated a natural ability particularly with his vertical jumps. Wright debuted for Richmond in 1946 uh, but he only played 25 games in the first three years. This was due to Jack Dyer and Bill Morris being such huge members of the team but upon uh, Bill Morris's retirement soon was able to get regular games He had 98 career Brownlow votes and became known as the Gentle Giant after he retired from football and was a well-known radio and television commentator. Uh,
0: And now also, Melissa, can you tell us about the the team of 1952?
6: We have the 1952 Sporting Life magazine's Team of the Year. So in the back line, there was Essendon's Wally May, North Adelaide's Ian McKay and Fitzroy's Bill, Bill Stephen. Half backs were East Perth's Frank Sparrow, Melbourne's Dennis Cordner, and Glenelg's Don Taylor. In the centre there is Collingwood's Thorold Merritt or Thorold Merritt. Uh, West Torrens's Bob Hank and North Adelaide's Lyle Griffin. Half forwards are Collingwood's Bob Rose, Sturt's Len Fitzgerald and South Adelaide's Jim Dean. The forwards are Richmond's Roy Wright. And Brownlow medalist. Essendon's John Coleman and Essendon's Bill Hutchison. Other Brownlow medalist, kind of. And the followers are Norwood's John Marriott, Port Melbourne's Frank Johnson, and South Fremantle's Steve Marsh.
0: Now, what's interesting about that team, fellas, is uh, there's no Geelong players. Yeah, very. Yeah. Just a strong team across the board. One Collingwood player, no Carlton players no Fitzroy players. Oh, one one Fitzroy player. So, I mean, when you talk about... uh, Yeah, it's really interesting. I I want to know more about how they choose this team. Yeah, it doesn't...
2: Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Is it more of a, like, a C.S. Mullen-type, C.C. Mullen-type Possibly.
0: Maybe it's a small sample size. Mm. I'm not sure. I'd I'd like to know more. No, Ganninian. No, well... Come on. Coleman. No, Coleman, yeah, of course. 103 goals in the wet, muddy football. Of course he's going to be full forward. Come oh, on, Kaz. You can't put him in a different position. Coleman yet. almost kicked double the amount of goals he did. Oh no, no question. You oh, I think you put him, him in it. the pocket. Why <laughs> oh, you don't need him, Coleman? <laughs> um, all right, finals,
5: finals. Shame isn't is didn't go better with that year with him. <laughs> that was one of his better years, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, all go right, on. so the first semi-final played between third and fourth on the ladder Fitzroy and
2: Carlton Fitzroy and Carlton in front of 59,970 people
0: mm. Carlton came out the gates very inaccurate they to me. did five behinds from five shots on goal they didn't score their first goal until the 18 minute mark of the second quarter Oof. Mm. Uh, but the Blues improved in the third and actually took the lead by four points at three quarter time um, they had the lead in the last uh, but with a minute to play scores were level Alan the Baron Ruffman one possession on a boundary throw-in, snapped and scored a point. They then held on for the final 70 seconds of gameplay, in which they won again by, you guessed it, a point. A point. <laughs> yep. um, in the first semi-final in this game, uh, Keith Warburton received a heavy knock to his abdomen early in the match. He fought little of it. Later in the evening, he collapsed at the Carlton Club dance and he was rushed to hospital, where it was discovered he had suffered from a artery he would severed an artery leading to his bowel Oh! he hovered geez. near death for some days requiring almost continuous transfusions of blood oh. um, it was said that his physical fitness was the only reason he survived wow yeah um, under the Paige McIntyre system of finals this was the first semi-final ever decided by a point uh, number twenty nine on Peter Carter's list of Fitzroy's best wins, <laughs> and it would also be Fitzroy's last finals win for the next twenty seven years. Yeah. So nineteen seventy nine is their next finals win. Wow! Really. Enjoy. Yeah. Uh, which it gets us to the second semi final. Second semi, yes. And before we get to that, there's been a lot of people complaining recently in in twenty twenty about you know the, the the break in the finals that yep. you know you've got a, you've got these big breaks where you're not playing, but that's what, exactly people? what's happening here. Yeah, exactly. So Geelong and Collingwood who finished one and two. Haven't played for two weeks. They haven't played for haven't two f- weeks, the winner gets another break before yeah. playing. So that's no different to what's happening now. Yeah, exactly. So they play
2: don't yeah, hasn't played for a week, then they play, then they get a week off. Yeah, yeah again. Yeah. So and it's, it's worked
5: all the way through from that.
0: Yeah, so people
5: it's, it, it's like non-mute. everything
0: we discover on this show, everything just repeats. Exactly. Everything's already happened before. Yep.
2: Look at the history, look at what's happened.
0: Hmm.
2: So the second semi final between one and two.
0: Geelong and Collingwood, yes. Geelong and
2: Collingwood, yes. In front of 77,417
0: people. Uh, Yep, look, Geelong were almost back to full strength. After lots of injuries during the year, they had pretty much a full list. Bill Bill Toomey started like a man possessed for Collingwood, trying to win the game off his own boot with the opening goal within the first 90 seconds. Uh, But there weren't really enough pies who wanted to support him. Collingwood's hard, bumping, vigorous football worried Geelong in the first quarter and a half, and under pressure, Geelong was not a good side were clearly worried by Collingwoods playing close to them. Uh, they led by 16 at halftime, as, as in Geelong led by 16 at halftime. Collingwoods' Neil Mann went off injured at that point. start of the third, the teams traded goals, um, but then the Cats slammed on five unanswered goals to take complete control. Pies fans started to stream out in the last quarter as the, Pies, the Cats cruised home. Yeah, The Pies kicked six goals in the match, Toomey with four of them, uh, Bill McMaster with four goals, two leading the Cats. That's
2: it. So, yeah, Geelong's 14, 16, 100, absolutely decimating Collingwood 6, 10, 46. Uh, as Fons was saying, they didn't give it everything when they had to give it everything they had. No. No. Yeah. And so that means they had to come back again the next week, the Pies. Yeah, it does. And p- play against the Roys mm. in the prelim in front of 54,046 people. Uh, and. Look, first quite a close was, first quarter. Yeah, I think.
0: four goals four to four goals two. Pies just ahead, but look, they really took control in the second quarter, holding the Roys goalless. Um and look, you would have thought, yeah, we got it from here, but Collingwood, you never know, the Roys came roaring back in the third quarter, uh, and almost got overrun again, but the Pies were able to steady the ship just. Um really boring one goal was scored in the last quarter. Yeah. Uh to Collingwood and they won the game by nineteen points. Finally, a finals win, and finally their first grand final since 1939. Yes. We're good enough. When Melbourne beat them.
2: Yeah. If you wanted to remember. Yeah, yeah, no, I remember. I remember. (laughs) Don't worry, I wouldn't forget. (laughs) Uh, Which gets us to the
0: grand final. The grand final Geelong Collingwood. Yes. Yes. Uh, (laughs) 82,890 people, Charlie. Yes. Yes, at the MCG. now, let's uh, let's put up the way back when machine. Let's talk to our old, our old mate Troubles. Troubles. See what uh, trouble he's up to. Surely there can't be any troubles for, for <laughs> him these times. Uh, hey, Fred. So good to speak to you again. Two in a row, hey? What a phenomenal achievement.
4: Thanks so much, guys. Lovely to speak to you as well. Yeah, we're pretty chuffed with it. Very happy that we've been able to get the job done again.
0: So,
2: Troubles, tell us about the year you've had. Did you guys think that you could do it again after last year?
4: Absolutely we did. Reg would never let us rest on our laurels. He's a strict disciplinarian, but always goes about it in the right way. All the boys have nothing but respect for him. While he worked us hard, Raul is always high with Reg. Uh,
0: now, it's not all work down at Your Park, is it, There. <laughs>
4: No, definitely not. We've got Davis, Renfrey and Smith, who love to play a few jokes and lighten the mood. I remember one wet night at training, we were all sloshing around in ankle-deep water. Bobby Davis came out in flippers. Even Reg couldn't stifle a smile that day.
2: Uh, Well, that could have been the last smile to do with Bobby Davis for a while, though, Fred.
4: Yeah, look, when South Australia came knocking, we understood why Bob was lured, but we couldn't just let him go, not when we knew our window was wide open to do it again. He was a good sport about it, and there were no problems between us and him.
0: And then there's also the story of young Jeff Williams as well. How did you feel about him training with another club all year?
4: Yeah, very strange stuff, but credit to Reg, he made it work. Look, it's not ideal not having to work with him, with the rest of the club during the week, but ha- very happy to have him with us on the weekends.
2: So then, with a couple of changes coming into this year, and obviously missing Bobby Davis at this stage, uh, but then also uh, Tate and Norman were, were no longer around, you still managed to come out really strong in the opening rounds of the year.
4: Yeah, we managed a shaky win over Melbourne in round one and then started to get our legs back under us. We were very happy when we got Davis back for our game against the Tigers.
0: Very cloak and dagger, that whole thing, Fred. Uh, Why did you want to keep it such a secret?
4: Well, the truth is we weren't trying to keep it a secret. We were still trying to figure it out ourselves and wanted to give ourselves every opportunity to get him over as soon as we could. Lucky it all worked out and he was with us that weekend. It turned out that that was the end of the whole thing as well. And Bobby decided to stay with us moving on, which is great news to everyone at the club.
2: Uh, So the season uh, just went off just the way you would have hoped, though, dropping that uh, one uh, to Carlton. But uh, you lost Bernie uh, Smith in that game as well. That would have been a hard spot to fill.
4: Yeah, we were a bit depleted after that, and at a tough time when we were about to head up to Brisbane. Unfortunately, I couldn't be there that day either, and we had a bit of a shocker. Still think the VFL may have planned it a bit that way, though. (laughs)
0: That seemed to be the end of a tough run, though, and you managed to win everything through until today, and including today.
4: Yeah, we were very lucky with our consistency throughout the second half of the season, which was great. We became stable and confident. I think the whole side thought we could do it again.
2: So, uh, after finishing off Collingwood comfortably a couple of weeks ago, the question was, would you be facing them again, or would it be the Maroons? Did you have anyone uh, who you thought you would have preferred to be playing today?
4: We were definitely hearing about that game with interest, and wasn't it a tough affair. Once we knew it would be Collingwood again, we steadied ourselves, but both sides copped a few hard hits, and it was going to be a pretty sore side coming up against us today.
0: Uh, So tell us more about today's game. Uh, Umpire Jamison was a bit whistle-happy at the beginning, wasn't he?
4: There were a few frees paid in quick succession early, but it let us know what to expect for the game.
0: And even though Collingwood
2: got uh, the first, he managed to pop on three unanswered after that. Uh, do you reckon uh, Collingwood made any changes after quarter try- time to try and stop you running away with it?
4: All credit to them. They brought it in the second quarter. They came out and were far more physical than they had been early. It definitely did what it was supposed to and knocked us off our focus early in the piece.
0: And luckily Ganinian managed to squeak one just before the half-time siren, giving you a little bit of, a, bit of breathing space.
4: Yeah, they were definitely coming. And some lovely play from Davis allowed me to find George in the forward line. And he gave us that breathing space. It's a good way to finish a tough quarter.
2: Now, they managed to keep you boys guessing in the second half as well, didn't they? They made a few major positional changes throughout the field.
4: Yeah, they knew they needed to keep us on our toes, and it worked for them a bit. We took a while to pull back together, especially after a goal from a free kick against us to knock the wind out of our sails. They got close, but we knew they were running out of puff.
0: Yeah, they were looking good, but definitely started to lag a bit. Um, That merit goal to bring them close was actually their last for the game, believe it or not.
3: Was it?
4: Yeah, well, we managed to click into gear after that and take the game away back onto our own terms. We were just loving it by then.
2: So, Troubles, after a massive win, tell us, who do you reckon was best on ground for your boys today?
4: It's so hard to pick from a side that played so well together. Jeff Williams was incredible in defence. What a mature head on his Shoulders for such a young man, sharp as well. And how could I go past Ganin and Trisai as They work Collingwood's defence overtime, but it has to be Williams if I can only choose one.
0: Amazing, Fred. Well, look, I know, uh, I know there'll be some kind of burial this week of a, of a magpie, which we look forward to. Um, look, congratulations again, two in a row, back to back, uh, and your fifth, the, the club's fifth in the VFL. Uh, enjoy the celebrations.
4: Oh, we will, guys. Thanks very much. <laughs>
0: All right, so some stats from that grand final. Um, so goals, Geelong, we've got Ganinian with five, Trezias with four, Davis, Flanagan, McMaster, and Warner with one each. Mm. For Collingwood, Parker three, and Merritt two. Best for Geelong were Williams, Ganinian, Sharp, Trezias, Bernie Smith, Morrison, uh, Troubles, Flanagan, and Warner. Um, some to the reserves as well. So the reserves, Premiership was won by Essendon
5: oh really
0: and the under 19 premiership was won by essendon <laughs> very consistent mm. at least and the winner of the mcclellan trophy kaz one yes. of your favorite trophies <laughs> uh was geelong ah. so remembering the mcclellan trophy is awarded for the team that does best in the seniors reserves and under 19. so won by geelong second was collingwood third was Geelong.
5: geelong as well yeah no well, essendon came close
0: yeah must have been essendon third <laughs> Run by Geelong. Well done. Alright, now, the tradition of burying the vanquished on the Sunday after the Premiership was actually thwarted this year, well at at this point. Nearly 10,000 people turned up to Cardinia Park (laughs) to watch. Geelong president Jack Jennings, accompanied by players and officials, carried a dead magpie in a specially made coffin (laughs) to the centre of the oval and stood on a table to make a pre-burial speech. His speech could not be heard as the crowd began to cheer. Jennings could not go on with the ceremony as women and children were in danger of being injured. The police were called to clear the oval and the burial was postponed. Um, I'm hoping it did actually happen. I, I couldn't actually find out whether it had it's or important. not. Um, and the question is, you know, if they win against the Tigers in the grand will they final... It? Will, will they bury it? Will they bury the Tigers? Was, was there something continued last time they won? Well... I don't know, apparently yes, but I, I haven't got confirmation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember Danny McGinley saying something that like he'd spoken to someone continued. and apparently was, yeah. Mm. Um, let's send out some tweets and find out.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Following the season, Essendon and Richmond played a night game at Olympic Park, Kaz. That is so awesome. Um, the winner getting 75% of the gate. Is this after the grand final? Yeah. So? yeah, this is in October. Lovely. Four radio stations broadcast the match and Essendon declared that they would get revenge for the two losses the Tigers had given them during the season. Wow. Essendon won the game by 71 points. Coleman kicked six goals three. Hutchie was best on ground. Um, while in this game, Richmond gave South, South Australian Jim Dean a run as well, which would be important for their future coming in. We'll hear that name again in a few years. Oh. And we've got some retirees. Oh. So cue the sad music. Here we go. Bill Brittingham from Essendon. Now we didn't go into this in too much detail when we talked about 48, but there was this myth that he kicked 11 of the behinds in the drawn grand final, but Mm. this isn't true at all. He kicked uh, only two behinds, I believe. Mm. Um, So he played 172 games, 181 Mm. goals, Mm. won three flags with the Bombers, um, was a full forward to start with and then moved down back as well, so Mm. a bit of a jack of all trades there. Mm. Uh, Vic Chanter, Fitzroy, the only player to ever hold John Coleman goalless, 108 games. Hmm. Ern Henfrey of Carlton, 84 games, the 1947 grand final captain. Fred Stafford of Carlton as well, 102 games, one flag. Gordon Wappalane from Essendon and South Melbourne, 178 games, 350 goals, three flags. Oh, big whopper. Gordon Hocking, tried to come back, couldn't quite this season for Collingwood, 171 games, 78 goals. Harold Bray of St Kilda, 156 games, 15 goals. Um, Did this player win the, the... uh, McCracken Name Award let me just double check my notes here Kaz <laughs> Tom Morrow did, was he a winner?
1: Mm.
5: maybe, maybe. Sure. runner up
0: oh yeah he must have been runner up a few years ago <laughs> uh, he has retired from Geelong 120 games 58 goals one flag and Don Mopsy Fraser mm. 174 games 125 goals what a last season he had in the VFL. Oh, that's right big one to finish up mm. and that gets us to the end of our show let's do a bit of a wrap up then shall we?
2: yes please Let's let's find out what happened this year what a tour de force of information, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> so this year's Premier's
0: Kaz. Um, we have
5: Geelong. The Kittens. The Kittens. Uh, 46 the
0: points over the, the Magpies. Yes. Brownlow medalists Charlie. Uh,
2: the Brownlow medalist was Roy Wright of Richmond with 21 votes. Uh, and Bill Hutchison of yes. Essendon yes. Which would later be um, awarded res- retrospectively yes. But we will
0: uh, we will pay it to him now because, We will, yes. the respect oh. he deserves The respect he deserves yes. um, Wooden spoon, Kazman We've got St Kilda down there
1: again
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, And our lead goal kicker, Tim Johnny Coleman Johnny Coleman with 103 103 in an impressive performance In a mud-filled season yeah, with uh with the team that didn't make the finals yeah. as well. It's probably would you say that's more impressive than his hundred and twenty in the premiership year? Uh Because yes. there was big praise we we had a big praise for him before, like the fact that it was such a muddy game. Yeah. Slow to move that he was still able to kick that many goals.
2: Yeah. I mean very disappointing that he did get held to zero in one game Imagine yeah, that. Yeah, and that's
0: then. it. So he, he still managed a ton without like didn't kick a goal in one game. Yeah. So even more impressive. Um, the the highest score was Essendon's score against Geelong mm. in that game, and my computer's died. So <laughs> <laughs> in the game where they played, the <laughs> 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 Fuck you! Yep. It, I believe it was uh, one hundred and sixty-three points. One hundred sixty-three against Geelong in Brisbane. Lovely. First time the highest the uh, the Coulthard Shield has been. <laughs> Achieved in another state. In another state, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. So premiership tallies as of 1952. Mm-hmm. We've got Collingwood 11, mm-hmm. Essendon 10. So close. So close. Carlton with eight, Fitzroy eight, Melbourne creeping up there with six. Getting there. It's going to get better. Geelong now with five, Richmond five, and South Melbourne three. Casman. Yep. Name. Um, all right. Here are here are your options. Okay. <laughs> Sid Slocome <laughs> Bob Watt, Hugh Morris, which is the funny one, humorous. Uh, Mick Rambeau, Laurie Icky, Harry Lack, Max Orr, Billy Gunn, John Chick, Tony Ongarello, Kevin Blizzard or George Swarbrick?
2: How good he's there. Yeah, that's
5: all right. Um, oh, what's the one who is the same as the d- wrestler? Uh, there's two, Hugh Morris or uh, Billy Gunn. Oh, who do you like more out of them? Wasn't there an Australian? He said his grandfather was Australian. Is he... Does that mean? Um, never mind. Whatever. Callum Ward's grandfather was Billy Gunn. That's what I mean. Maybe he was an Australian. He so. was Australian. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well,
0: let's give it to Callum Ward's Australian, and his dad was his grandfather was Australian. <laughs> you can mock me later. <laughs> off <here>. air. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? No, I don't.
5: Uh, um. Well, we'll give it to the Gun then. <laughs> Billy, is that right? Billy Gunn. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> <laughs> Tweet us in with your explanation of what you thought I meant. <laughs> Alright,
2: let's wrap it up. Let's wrap it up. So, another great year, 52. Another Catter's great year. two in a row.
0: Yep. Lovely to hear about. It is. Yeah. Um. Spoiler alert, we, we do have to talk about a Collingwood flag next year. Unfortunately. Yeah. But we'll get through it. Yeah, but it's one of only the four more we have to talk to talk about. So I mean, <laughs> That's that gets us down to three more after that. So it makes it that makes yeah, yeah. It, silver linings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's yeah. good. Appreciate
2: that. Uh, another great year, guys. Great fantastic.
0: Year. It is the Thursday before the grand final, so enjoy the grand final. Yeah. Even though you'll be hearing this after the grand final, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So uh, we hope you enjoyed the grand final. Yes. Yes. Go. It was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fantastic. What a game <laughs> that that team won. It was amazing. Yeah, magnificent. <laughs>
0: Two original. Oh no, I was going to say two original clubs, but it's not. No. Uh, No. Give us give us a review if you get a chance. Recommend us to your friends. Yes, please. Hook us up on Twitter. To Twitter give or give us a review Instagram. on 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 the on the app
2: that you use to download your pods because mm. that helps other people find us yes. as well yeah,
0: yeah
2: there. Uh, and check out some of these amazing things that uh, that Tim and has been talking about you know the other podcasts that we've been mentioning and these yep. phenomenal websites yep oh, relive even, even cool. our
0: own website yes please. Yeah. We've, got lots of, we've, we've put some of our writing up there, all our past McCracken Award winners, um, <laughs> got first the first goal kickers we've got there, the songs, all songs oh. we, we've found there's, are on there. Oh, there's heaps of
2: them. Especially fun now when we've only got one more game of the season, your team's probably not in it, like yeah. on the law of averages. Yeah. So go back and relive the glory days of your club. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. That's why we do this. <laughs>
7: <laughs> uh, well, until 53... Hooroo. Hooroo. Big Red's local footy roundup, for your state and suburban football action, sinking our teeth in the grassroots football. G'day Kick Team, welcome to the roundup for the 1952 season of football from around this great country. First, we take a look at the Sandfall, where in the 73rd season of competition we have North Adelaide winning their 8th club premiership while beating Norwood by a massive 108 points. Nor had the game lost in the second quarter when they only scored one goal but allowed North Adelaide to score eight goals at the other end of the ground. A massive crowd of 50,000 fans were present for the one-sided clash that was played at the Adelaide Oval. The Ken Farmer Award for the Sandford leading goal kicker was won by John Willis from West Torrens with a total of 85 goals for the season. The McGarry Medal in the 1952 season was won by Len Fitzgerald from bottom-of-the-table bottom of side Sturt. Fitzgerald came across from the VFL, where he played 96 games with Collingwood from 1945 before returning to his home state and joining Sturt at the beginning of the 1951 season. Over in the Waffle, where they head into their 68th season of competition, we have last year's Grands finalists facing off again, but with this time being a different result. South Fremantle have beaten West Perth by 21 points to claim their sixth premiership and their fourth premiership win over the last six seasons. Our Waffle leading goalkeeper for the season was Bernie Naylor, who went goal kicking crazy this season with 147 goals for his South Fremantle side. It is over the next few years of football in the Waffle, albeit towards the end of Naylor's career, that he really cements himself as the goalkeeping legend of the Waffle. The Sandover Medal was won in the 1952 season by Stephen Marsh from the South Fremantle side. Marsh was a champion rover for South Fremantle and is regarded as one of the finest rovers of the era. Quick off the mark, elusive, courageous, a leader, and highly skilled by hand and foot. Marsh was from Kalgoorlie, um, and after some time in the Air Force, arrived at Fremantle Oval, supposedly looking for a contact from the East Fremantle Football Club. The rumor has it that a member of the South Fremantle Football Club found him wandering around the Oval and brought him into their change rooms as at the time South and Easts both shared the Fremantle Oval. With this, the deal, was, the deal was signed and Marsh signed with South Fremantle, playing in their sixth premierships and winning four best and fairest to go with this year's McGarry medal. So a massive steal as he was meant to play for East Fremantle, but instead Souths uh, got the got the chocolates. Over the VFA and in the 71st year of the competition, the premiership was won by Oakley, when they have defeated Port Melbourne by 21 points to secure their fourth club premiership. The defeat for Port has meant that they have embarrassingly claimed a three-peat of grand final losses over recent seasons. Ouch. The association's leading goal kicker was won by Johnny Williams from Williamstown Football Club with 103 goals for the season and in doing so claimed his second goal kicking award. The 1952 JJ Liston Medal for the Association's Best Player of the Year was won by Frank Johnston from Port Melbourne. Johnston is widely acknowledged as one of the VFA's all-time star players and was a tremendous tap ruckman. Johnston also jumped across to the VFL in 1960 to play for South Melbourne, winning the Best and Fairest there in his first season. The Frank Johnston Medal is named in his honour and is awarded to the Victorian Football League uh, for its best player in interstate representative matches. He was also named the captain of the Port Melbourne Team of the Century. In the Northern Football League in 1952, we have Greens Borough oh, defeating Eltham by 52 points to secure their first premiership in 18 years and the sixth in their club history. To the Federal Football League, where Morty Alec have completed a three-peat defeating Camden by 18 points while also securing their seventh premiership. And finally, to the South Gippsland Football League, where an interesting story has come to light after kick fan Ash Jordan has sent something through from the archives. In 1952 in the South Gippsland Football League, we have Fish Creek playing off against Menion at the Lee and Gather Oval. And at the final siren, Fish Creek are deemed the winner by 7 points, with post-match speeches taking place and congratulatory celebrations beginning. It was at this point that the goal umpires realised that they had varying scorecards, with one of the umpires seeing the game won to Fish Creek by 7 points and the other umpire having the game drawn. The idea of a rematch was decided, to which Fish Creek flat out refused. The match was then amazingly deemed a draw as Fish Creek had refused that rematch after all. So, with their pride on the line, the Fish Creek committee at the time decided that the only thing to do was to make a replica blank premiership pennant and sew 52 onto it as they believed they had fairly won the game. A quote from the captain of Fish Creek at the time reads, It's hard enough to get a team of lads together without having the premiership Ned kelly off you. And the 1952 premiership flag still hangs proudly in the clubrooms today should you be driving by. And with that, we wrap up the roundup for the 1952 season of football from early grounds. Until next time, kick straight.
6: To find out more about the kick to kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us by email at kick2kickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kick Thanks so much for listening.